Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. All right. Now, today we're going to look at chapter 12. We're going to finish chapter 12. So I call this a prayer as a weapon part two. And I'm telling you, if there was ever a week that I needed to preach this to myself, it was this week. So today, on my way to church, Today was going to be the first day I jumped in as a Royal Rangers commander. That's right. That's right. Commander Justin. And uh, I had my boys in the car, and the car broke down, the van, and so we had to go back, and we all came in the Ford. But Big Red is the name I've given my, my van. Uh, well, she might be done. <laughs> we don't know yet, but what a week. So the van broke down. But first of all, I was in wet clothes coming because our dryer broke down also. And so, you know, we're hanging up underwear and clothes on our ceiling fan and on our everywhere we can. And then that's not the only thing. The, the dishwasher's broken down. Uh, out of uh, four toilets, we only have two that are functioning right now. Uh, the microwave uh, decided to die. Uh, what else died? The kitchen faucet died. Thank, thank you, Bobby, wherever you at. You're, you saved us and came in and put a new faucet. But if you've ever seen the movie The Money Pit, I'm living it right now. It's like, and then the electricity's doing weird stuff. It's like going on and off. And, you know, I, last night Liz was stressed out and I said, oh, stop, this is nothing. But when, when the, I had to wear wet clothes and I had to walk out in nine degree weather, I was like, God, why? Why? Where are you? But God is here. He's good. He's faithful. And uh, I am just so excited to be here with you today. Amen? If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, open up to the book of Acts. Again, we're looking at chapter 12. We're going to finish chapter 12 today, so we're looking at verses 18 through 25. But here at New Heights Church, we love doctrine. It's a churchy word, isn't it? In case you're wondering, it just means we believe in good teaching. So we want you to hear from God, not necessarily me. We don't want you to hear my opinions. We want you to hear God's. And so we go straight to the word of God and we study the Bible. We study through books, verse by verse, precept upon precept. And I, I say that because as we close the end of chapter Acts, we're actually gonna take a three-week break. And there's a reason for this. Sometimes God 
will put something on your heart and he's saying, man, you need to speak this to the congregation and Sunday is the best day to do that because that's, that's the one day that we have everybody together in one place. And so uh, also we're doing it because we are, at, at, during the month of December, we had everybody together. So the Spanish Fellowship, the English Fellowship, um, and it was awesome. And so we wanna do that one uh, week out of every single month where we just come together. And as we start planning churches, yep, you heard that right. As we start multiplying and planning churches and planning different campuses, we still wanna come together as one church. So one day, if we're 10 campuses, we're still one church. And so we need to start practicing that now, coming together. And we'll do that once every single month. It'll be the last week of every month. We'll come together, we'll do communion, baptisms. We'll just celebrate the goodness of God and all that he's doing. But to do that, we need the Spanish Fellowship to get caught up with us. They're two weeks behind us. And so um, the Lord started putting something on my heart that uh, I felt we needed to share with the congregation. And then this is always confirmation. We got a few emails that were asking me about this particular doctrine. And so we're gonna, we're gonna take that as God's doing something. So at the end of this sermon, uh, at the end of chapter 12, we're gonna take a three-week break and then we're gonna jump right back into Acts chapter 13 and finish through uh, the book of Acts. And so, exciting stuff happening here. God is good, amen? These are good problems to have, figuring out how to bring fellowships together and, and the logistics of it all. God is good, I'll take this problem any day. Not a problem, just figuring out logistics and that's always good. Somebody say amen, because I'm just gonna keep rambling here. This isn't in my transcript. <laughs> All right, so we're in the book of Acts. It traces for us the history of the early church from the resurrection. How many of you know Jesus died, but he came back to life? And then the ascension of Jesus, after he died and came back, he went back to heaven. And then carrying out the Great Commission, uh, that's a Bible term for the mission of God. He has a mission, a plan, and purpose, and what God says he's gonna do, he's gonna do. And so uh, carrying out the Great Commission to begin in Jerusalem, and it goes all over the world into every people group, and then, of course, to its conclusion in Acts chapter 28, when the Apostle Paul is in the city of Rome preaching all about the good news, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so today, we're in this awesome, amazing chapter. We find ourselves in chapter 12. It begins in tragedy, but it concludes in triumph. It concludes in victory. And we, we encounter this weird, I guess, triangle, if you, if you would. We see a really nasty and hostile world attacking a very new church. We see a church that's under immense pressure, praying and calling on God. And get this, we see a prayer answering God intervening in a situation. Come on. <laughs> so real quick, wanna give you a brief summary. Now most of this is review of what we covered last week, but I flew over a whole lot of uh, verses last week, and so we're gonna just do a summary real quick. But we began the chapter, we're told about the ruler Herod the Great, or Herod the King, who arrests one of the disciples named James, and he puts him to death with the sword. That means he lost his head. And we saw that this caused his popularity to kind of spike, right? His, his ratings go up. And so the Bible says that he also arrested Peter and he put Peter in jail. And his plan was to kill Peter also. And this had to be absolutely heartbreaking for the church. It had to be extremely painful. And so the Bible says that the church began to do what? They got on their knees and they prayed. So God heard their praise, prayers and he sent his mission impossible angel into the jail cell of Peter. 
and we read about the real great escape, right? Peter walks out of prison after his chains fall off of him. He's led by angels to safety. He then makes his way to the prayer meeting. <laughs> and the, the funny thing is we learn that Peter found it easier to get out of jail than he, he found it getting to the prayer meeting. But anyway, today we come to the end of chapter 12 where we're also gonna see that Herod meets his judgment from a righteous God and we're told something pretty amazing. And that's this, the word of God continues to grow and there is great victory. God is victorious. He always is. You can take that to the bank. God is in control, and we can trust him. It's what we learned last week, right? God is in control. We spent quite a bit of time just talking about that fact. God is in control. He's in control. And when we read chapter 12, we can't help but find ourselves face to face with the mysterious ways of God. And what I mean by the mysterious ways of God is James, one of the beloved disciples of Jesus, is killed, and yet, on the other hand, Peter's arrested, and the church prays for him, and he's delivered. So, you know, James gets killed, and Peter gets to escape. That's the, the mystery, mystery of God's ways. Goodness, that's the mystery of God's ways. Why, why do things happen? Uh, why do some things happen and, and some things don't happen? And we absolutely must understand that our very limited and restricted, subject to limitations, that that's our mind, cannot totally and completely comprehend the mind of God. I mean, if we could, what kind of God would he be, really, right? If we could understand, comprehend all the things of God, what kind of God would he be? He's worthy of our worship because he's on a whole nother level. He's worthy of our praise because he's on a whole nother level. In fact, that's what I, there we go. <laughs> that's what Isaiah chapter 55, verse eight through nine, look, he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declared the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God's will for James was death, and God's will for Peter was deliverance. Why is that? Well, we see it in life all the time, don't we? Sometimes we see a life that's taken away just as the moment we feel like we, we, we can't even handle it anymore. We'll see one person get healed of cancer, and then we'll see another person die of cancer, and we prayed the same way for both of them. Why is it, right? That's just the mystery of God's will. There, there are things about life that we do not understand. But here's what we do know, and here's what you need to understand, is God has an individual, personalized plan for all of his followers. All of our lives, that was true for James, that's true for the life of Peter, and I wanna point out to you that God loved Peter and he loved James just as much. But he had a personalized plan, an individual plan for each of them. God's expression of his love is expressed in the death of James just as much as it is in the deliverance of Peter. And that's important to understand. Whatever God does in your life, remember that it's proof and it's evidence of the love of God. We don't always understand that. We don't always see that. But if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Never let what you don't understand conflict with what you do understand. Okay, now when I was explaining this to Asher, not, not this week, but this was a few years ago, I was explaining this concept to him. He was trying to understand certain things, and 
I said, never let what you don't understand conflict what you do understand. Well, what do you mean by that? I said, well, Asher, I don't understand everything about gravity, but I do know that if I jump out of an airplane without a parachute, I'm gonna fall to, to my death. So I'm not gonna let what I don't understand about gravity stop me from what I do understand about it. I thought that was pretty creative. I thought, thought about it just right there on the spot. And he's looking at me, and he's in deep thought. And I said, do you get it? And he goes, I guess, but what I don't get is how you don't understand gravity. It's a simple concept. <laughs> I said, well, no, I'm just, I'm just trying to teach you. He goes, let me explain to you gravity. I go, you don't need to explain to me gravity. I said, never mind, you know. All right, here's what we do know. The Bible says that God loves you with an everlasting love. He'll never quit loving you. So whatever happens in your life, the things that God allows, remember, God loves you. There are some things in this life that we'll just have to get to heaven to fully understand. In heaven, we can know why it was God's will for James to, to go to heaven, why it was God's will for Peter to remain on earth a little longer. But again, what we, what we know now is that God is wise in all his dealings. We know that God is too loving to be unkind. He's too wise to be unwise. And we have to understand that God's wisdom is expressed in his individual dealings with each of us, okay? Know that. God has a very personalized plan for each of our lives. And I want you to understand this about this personalized plan of God for, for the life of his children, that no matter what the plan is, God's gonna get the glory. God is going to get the glory. Folks, God is glorified in the death of James. He's glorified in the deliverance of Peter. Do you believe that? Look at Romans 14.8. Says, for if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. You know, I watched my father, who was a pastor most of my life, pastor and missionary, and he was a really uh, a phenomenal preacher. He died at 50, 50 years old of a brain tumor. At 41, he was taken out of the pulpit. And all of a sudden, the, the tumor affected his ability to, to speak. So he couldn't clearly communicate. He went from being this lecturer at Northwest University and this uh, great preacher every Sunday to not even be able to, 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 to really communicate. And I remember the first time we really, it hit us that, wow, he cannot clearly express his thoughts was when a pastor at a church asked him to come up and pray. And he got up there and he, he just could not get the words out. Dear Jesus, uh, we need heads, all of us. This was his prayer, I'll never forget it. Lord, we don't need a, our head needs to be on us. You know, like our body. So just, everyone is like, what? And I remember my mom just crying and that was when we realized he can no longer communicate. He can't express what he's thinking. And so it, he lost his ability to do what was his gift. But here's why I bring this up. So he, he died. He did not get healed from a brain tumor. He, he died of a brain tumor, like I said, at 50 years old. But in those nine years, and I didn't see this until after his death, he probably ministered to more people in those nine years that he was sick because of his faithfulness to God. He probably encouraged more people than he did in all those years of preaching behind a pulpit, and I didn't see it until his funeral when all these people were getting up, and I kept expecting they're gonna, they're gonna talk about stories of Pastor Jim changing their life or changing their life through this sermon or being there, and every single one of them, testimony after testimony after testimony, got up and talked about how he challenged them and encouraged them by his faithfulness through nine years of a of a brain tumor. So it's whether we live to the Lord or if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we're the Lord's. 
God's going to get glorified. And that's, I saw that in my dad's life. That's what's going to happen in your life. That's what's going to happen in my life. When we, when we give our lives and submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit and we surrender our lives to him, he is going to be glorified no matter what we face. I love what Anne Enneagram Lot says. She says, our ultimate aim in life is not to be healthy, wealthy, prosperous, or problem-free. Our ultimate aim in life is to bring glory to God. <laughs> That's powerful. Do we believe it, though? Okay, so I want to make a few observations. Again, a few more from last week's test, text. And so after Peter miraculously escapes from prison, he goes to the prayer meeting. And I want you to see something here in this text real quick. So look with me. I know we talked about it last week, but we're going to look at verses 12 through 17 real quick. It says, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he, when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, are you, or you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it's his angel. It's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now, why in the world would they respond this way? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but what you've got to understand in Jewish tradition, they put a whole lot of weight and value into the idea of a guardian angel. So it, it may be that they just jumped to the conclusion he was being executed, he's already dead, this has to be his angel. They still didn't have the faith to believe what had happened. And I want to make a few observations here because the church is over here praying, Peter's miraculously and supernaturally released from from prison, where does he go? He, and, and how does he know where, where they are, right? He goes to the house of John Mark's mother. John Mark, we're gonna learn about him in a few, few weeks here. He's the cousin of Barnabas, and so there's this family connection here. He goes to John Mark's mother's house. Now, this house had to be pretty big, okay? It had to have a lot of room for people to gather. Actually, a lot of scholars believe this is the house that Jesus met with his disciples to celebrate the Last Supper. They also think this was probably most likely the house where the church gathered in Acts chapter 2 and witnessed Pentecost. But what I want you to see, the reality is that this is a place that has memories. Okay, It was a place that they would associate with prayer. Peter just probably assumed that they were doing what they do when they face problems. What do they do? They pray. He knew where to go, and, and here's why this is so important for us. And listen to me. If you're taking notes, write this down. In a moment of desperation, in a moment of discouragement, you need to revisit the place you've seen God work in the past. Let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, when you are discouraged, when you are facing difficulty in your life and you just you feel like you've lost all hope, you need to go back to the place where you've seen God prove himself to you in the past. Because the faithfulness of God in the past is gonna give you the hope in the present to continue in the future, right? Now, you and I, if we were to look at our lives, and your life is like mine, and, and it's filled with spiritual journey of highs and lows, can I just say that's the reality of it? Everybody faces spiritual highs and lows. 
I don't care how much you love Jesus or how committed and faithful you are. Life is about highs and lows. Nowhere in the Bible does Jesus say, come follow me and I'm gonna make your life easy. In fact, in some ways, it's the opposite. Come follow, you pick up your cross, deny yourself, follow me, right? Okay, I see someone, uh, or, or when I look at my life and, and I'm looking at the highs and the lows, the peaks are gonna be where I experience God's work. It's like, when I'm in this season where everything's going great and God is moving, it's like, God, you're so real, I can taste it. We've all had those moments, right? I see someone that I love give their life to Jesus. He miraculously provides a, a need in my life. It's in those moments, it's where God is so real to me. And then we go through seasons, and sometimes they're long, where it's dry. I'm not hearing anything, and I, I'm, I might even start wondering, God, are you even there? Do you even care? We have those seasons too, right? And I'm your, I'm your pastor. I'm supposed to be your spiritual leader. Can I just say I have these seasons a lot? Man, if my prayers were recorded, you would get a kick out of them. Because there are in, in the highs, I'm like, God, you're so good. And then the lows, I'm like, where are you, God? Where are you? Okay? Now, I don't want, I don't want you to show hands or anything, but if we're being real with each other in our faith journey, we've all experienced those highs, and we've all experienced those lows principle that I think we can learn, uh, learn from here is this. When you're in those lows and you feel like God is nowhere to be found, go back. Remember his faithfulness in the past. By the way, you see this in the Old Testament all the time, where God will tell them to do something to remind them of what he did, right? And it's not just to remind them of what he did, it's to remind their children and their children and their children. So he's the same God. He's still there. He's promised he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. The faithfulness of God in the past is gonna give us hope for the future. Even though the early church had seen God work, and they definitely had seen God work, they had seen the resurrected Jesus, they were still shocked when the knock came on the door. Right? They were still amazed, like, what? He's alive? They had seen the miraculous power of God over and over, but still blown away when God did something amazing. This is what I love about faith. We often read the Bible and, and we'll think, man, if I could just have faith like them. Look, they didn't even believe when the miracle came knocking on the door. They literally just had their prayer answered and they still didn't believe it. No way, God didn't just answer that prayer, did you? Look, their faith was a lot like yours and mine. That's why the Bible says if we have faith the size of a mustard seed, I'm telling you, it's not something you and me muster up, okay? And we'll get to that a little later. But, they, man, they, they told this girl she's out of her mind. Now, here's my question. Why are we surprised when God keeps his word? Why are we surprised when God knocks on the door? In fact, I would say we should expect that knock on the door. New Heights Church, listen to me. When you've been faithful to give through tithes and offerings and you find the checking account low, expect God to knock on the door and provide. All right, when you're resting in his promises, but you're restless with worry and fear, expect God to knock on the door. When you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, expect God to knock on the door. He's always on time, always giving what you need when you need it because he is faithful. He's faithful. So while they celebrated, when they saw what was happening, they were amazed. They celebrated God, and while they celebrated God's divine hand at work, they immediately focused their intention on continuing the mission of the gospel. They immediately went back to work, and they trusted that God would do the things that only God can do. That's the main idea today. And let me show you this in verse 18. 
says, now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him, and boy, he did search for him. He didn't like being embarrassed. After Herod had searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their, their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Here's what I want you to do. Position yourself in a place to trust God. Position yourself in a place to trust God. That's what we just read in verses 18 through 25. Some of you are thinking, that doesn't feel like the idea really fits this text, but it does. So let's take a closer look, and we're gonna see that it does. Verse 24 suggests that the people of God continued to carry out the mission that God had planted them to do. And in doing so, they trusted God would take care of Herod. Don't, over, don't, don't miss that point. That's amazing faith. That's amazing trust. They're gonna trust God to do what they can't do. See, when we go all the way back to the beginning of chapter 11, Herod is persecuting. Herod's imprisoning. Herod's killing and executing people because of their faith. They couldn't do anything about the king. It was completely out of their control. You ever been there? You ever been in a place in your life where it's like, man, I, I can't do anything. This is all out of my control. Well, this is where they're at. They've got this nasty King Herod, he's doing nasty things, and they can't do a thing about it. What they could do was be faithful to obeying God. They could carry out the mission that he had given them to do. And you need to let God take care of the things that God can take care of. Do you see that in this text? We as a church, New Heights Church, we need to let God take care of the things that only he can do. And I'm not just preaching this to you. Trust me, this is something that I have to practice in my own life. I have got to trust God to, take, to do the things in this church that only he can do. And it's important, it's so important because God's given us a mission, right? We're told to go make disciples, by the way, not converts, or uh, go make disciples, not just converts. He says, go make disciples. That's the mission, not converts, go make disciples. And I hope it's crystal clear that we here at New Heights Church, we're committed to making disciples. We're going to do that unapologetically. We're gonna do that here in this church, through the ministries on this campus, ministries off this campus, and all throughout the world and the nations. That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do that as we carry out the mission of God. And there are some things that we come across in life that we can't do anything about. And guess what? We're gonna trust God that he'll go before us. And we're gonna trust God that he's gonna fight our battles. It kind of reminds me of Isaiah chapter 37. Uh, Isaiah, Isaiah, all of the Old Testament actually, when we read it correctly and apply it correctly is so powerful. I've heard some of these preachers nowadays saying that we don't need to preach through the Old Testament. That's, that's hogwash. That is, I can't even believe a preacher would say that about God's word. Man, when you read the Old Testament, you read it correctly and you apply it correctly, powerful. Anyway, 
I'm getting off on my soapbox. Isaiah 37, it retells the story of when this king comes to the people of Israel and he mocks God. He mocks the God that they're worshiping. He says, oh, you think your God can save you, huh? I'm about to wipe you out. And God speaks through the prophet Hezekiah. And Hezekiah says, look, guys, don't worry. God's got this. He has this. And the people of Israel never even had to raise a weapon. They just kept their mouths shut. God supernaturally causes the king to be distracted. He gets into his head, and he went and got destroyed completely. Here they were being threatened, and God says, look, vengeance is mine. Deuteronomy says, I will repay. The Lord does a better job of defending his name than you do because he's a jealous God. See, I think if you read Isaiah 37 and then you fast forward all the way to Isaiah 54, he's able to write these words in Isaiah 54, what I'm about to read to you, because he would remember seeing what God had done in the past. Look with me at Isaiah 54. I want you to see this. No weapon formed against you will succeed and you will refute any accusation raised against you in the court. This is the heritage of the Lord's servants and their vindication is from me. This is the Lord's declaration. Okay, so what are we gonna do as a church? What is New Heights Church gonna do? We're gonna be faithful to carry out the mission of the gospel. That's what we're gonna do. What's God going to do? He will make his name known and he will defend it. Right? We've gotta be faithful to do the work and there's so much in this chapter, so many angles and turns that we can dive into. But for me, what I see, the cream that rises to the top. Yeah, I'm a Macho Man Randy Savage fan for all the wrestlers. That, some of you caught that. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. The cream that rises to the top is the thread of a focus on prayer. That's what I see here in chapter 12. Prayer, fervently, continuously praying, 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 trusting God, and then God delivers in God's time. I love Dick Eastman, this quote of his. It says, the history of missions is the history of answered prayer. I'm convinced that when we stand before God, we will discover that every soul ever brought to a knowledge of Christ was in some way related to intercessory prayer. See, I, I believe God wants to do something in our church, at New Heights Church, regarding prayer. I really do. I'm not just saying this. I'm not up here feeding you bogus, hogwash. God wants to do something in this church when it comes to prayer. Now, I'm telling you, every major season of awakening in Christianity, and I challenge you, go look it up. Always, whether it's in a church or on a college campus or in a workplace, every single one has been characterized by intense, persistent corporate prayer. Every single one of them. Go back, go look at every movement. You're gonna see it started with two things, uh, consistent prayer and a desire to study God's word. Because you need to know God's word if you're gonna know how to pray, right? Because like, like Abigail said, we pray God's promises back. So I believe, I believe New Heights Church has experienced so much in the last 60 years. Can we just take a moment and thank God for his goodness over the last 60 years? Tri-County Assembly of God slash New Heights Church, 60 years of God's faithfulness and goodness, and we have made a dent in the world. But listen, I believe that new, as much as we've experienced in the last 60 years, that God wants us to experience more. More for our community, more for our families, right? Here's the deal, though. This is not going to happen if we don't pray. If, if we will not, it, it won't come apart from prayer. It won't. We've gotta pray, 
gotta pray. So let me ask you, a church, right? As I'm asking you, the corporate church, which is made up of individuals, what's your personal prayer life like? What is it like? D.A. Carson says that if you really want to embarrass the average Christian, just ask them to tell you about his or her private prayer life. That's the one thing most Christians are woefully deficient in. Now, I don't want to embarrass anyone. It's not my point. I don't want, I, and just so you know, I told you a story last, last week where a pastor did ask me to record my prayer, and I was, I was very deficient in my prayer life. But he also, he said that because he was doing a survey, and the survey was taken in a really well-known, prominent evangelical seminary where students were all training to be missionaries, and only 6% of the student body could testify to regular quiet times. Only 6% could say they, they have regular quiet times where they pray and they read their Bible. 6%. And, and these are the ones going out to lead our churches and to go plant churches in different countries. And, and D.A. Carson said it would be painful and embarrassing to uncover the prayer life of even a lot of our pastors, much less our people. What if, what if God has more for this church? Because I, I believe he does. I believe he has more for this church. I believe he has more for our families. I believe he has more for our communities, our schools. I, I believe this. But we never get it because we simply just don't really know how to ask. And, and you know, I hear it all the time, especially when I, I was a missionary. I heard this a lot. I, I remember as a, a pastor's kid growing up, before we went to the mission field, missionaries would come and they don't mean to do this, but sometimes they'll compare the country that they're at and the spiritual zeal to America. It always offended me as a kid. I, I hated hearing, well, and let me tell you something, I went over here and we learned to pray. <laughs> you know, it, it bothered me. So, and, and when we were missionaries, here, here's what I learned too. Every church, no matter where it is, has weaknesses. <laughs> the American church isn't dying, folks. Let's say it again. The American church isn't dying. God is doing a lot of great things in the American church. But, but I will say this, that sometimes we're not really known for prayer. So when we come across certain teachings like Jesus, when he taught on prayer, it, it sometimes it leaves us confused, it leaves us frustrated, and, and even preachers are afraid to preach on it because they don't want people in the chair to be frustrated or confused. And even they themselves are frustrated and confused. Let's just be real with each other, right? Matthew 17, 20, if you have faith uh, like the grain of a mustard seed, Jesus told us, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. I remember one time our Royal Rangers group growing up studied this passage and I went on a hike with my dad and I stood before Mount St. Helens. <laughs> so I grew up in Washington State. And I said, move. My dad looked at me, what are you doing, son? I'm telling Mount St. Helens to move. <laughs> Why? Because the Bible tells me I can. You know, so we, we get, I was only like nine, okay? Or it was two years ago. I was with Pastor Enos. <laughs> Well, we get, we get confused. Why? Because that's an amazing promise. I mean, that is an incredible promise. So incredible, in fact, that I think most of us just don't believe it, right? Our unbelief, in one sense, I get it. It can be understandable because most of us, uh, we know what, what it's like to ask God to move a mountain only to have it just sit there. It doesn't move. And if we're honest, few of us even look for God to move mountains, 
we'd be okay with our prayers leading God to move an anthill. <laughs> but even that seems like it's foreign in our experience, right? When our prayers seem to fall on deaf ears, what is our natural response? It's always to assume something is wrong with us, right? If you've been a Sunday school teacher and you've taught kids or you've, you've been a youth pastor or you've been a youth sponsor, this is something kids always deal with. It, 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 it comes back to us. It must be something wrong with our belief. Maybe we need to work up a little bit more feeling to qualify as a mustard seed faith, right? But, but faith isn't simply a positive emotion toward God. It's not some presumptuous optimism that God's gonna give us when we, give us what we want if we just believe hard enough. No, in fact, the Bible says that faith is a response to what God has revealed. So if you wanna pray in faith, you need to know what God has revealed. You need to be able to discern what God has revealed and, and then ask him for it. And God, guess what? Guess where he reveals himself? In his word. In his word. So if we wanna move, we want him to move mountains, we need to first look to God's word to find out which mountains he wants us to move. Okay, the more we were grounded in God's word, the more, the more we see his revealed promises, the more we can pray, and we're gonna pray with a boldness. The prayers that are heard by heaven, listen, are the ones that start in heaven. The church right now desperately needs to awaken to, to the reality, and if you're taking notes, write this down. When we pray, God goes to work. When we pray, God goes to work. Now, I've just spent two weeks, last week, this week, teaching about God's sovereignty so that we don't, and here's why, so we don't abuse the doctrine of sovereignty and say, well, it's all in God's hands. Man, I'm sure he's gonna get it done. He's gonna work everything out. I don't need to pray. Nope, right? Because New Heights Church is a church of faith in what? The Bible, God's word, so we know God's sovereignty doesn't prevent us from praying. In fact, it should move us to pray. Why? Because prayer is the sovereignty appointed, uh, the, the sovereignly appointed way that God does his work. He's gonna accomplish his work through you and me praying. Do you see that? And we have a really cute saying here at New Heights Church. Prayer isn't just the, uh, what fuels the ministry, it is the ministry. But I had a, a mentor of mine really call me out on the carpet with this. Told me, you know, he asked, how's prayer in my church? And I, I told him that. I thought, I'm gonna quote, quote that, you know. And uh, I said, yeah, so that's one of our quotes. I mean, I say it from the pulpit a lot. And he goes, that's really cute. <laughs> but how was how, prayer in your church? And man, I was convicted. I was, I was convicted. I think, here's the truth. Pastor Stu, don't you love Pastor Stu? <laughs> Isn't Pastor Stu awesome? Pa <laughs> Pastor Stu really uh, encouraged me right before Christmas, you know, came in, and I don't even know if he realized how much God was using him, but he just kind of came in and he said, hey, man, this is just such an exciting time. I want to encourage you. Like, I've attended the church for 20 years, and I want you to know I just, I love where we're at as a church and the season we're in. And yeah, and, and he's just going off on all these great things that are happening, and it really gave me perspective. Because sometimes we just, we look at, at least I do as your pastor, sometimes I put all this pressure, we're not where we should, or I want to see this, and I want to see this, and I want to see this. And Pastor Stu kind of stepped in and, and kind of without even realizing it said, hey, perspective. Focus on all the awesome things that God has done and is doing, and it was really cool. And then when I came back, 
the first, the first thing he told me when I saw him in his office is he said, hey, I really feel like this is going to be a year of healing for New Heights Church. It's just gonna be a year of healing for, for families and for the staff and for, it's just gonna be a really good year, he said. And I, I think that's a word from God. I'm, I'm gonna claim that promise that this year, 2024, is going to be a year of healing for New Heights Church uh, because I, yeah, because I know, I know the truth. I know we got folks in here today who, who, who are going through some really difficult stuff, right? They've got a mountain in their life, something so imposing that it's gonna have to take God to move it. It's gonna have to take God to resolve it. I think it's safe to say that we probably have a lot of broken relationships in here today, financial difficulties. We probably have uh, maybe even some un, unfulfilled ambition. We have some people who, who have, have lived an entire life and they're maybe looking at their life and they just feel unfulfilled in their life. It, it, it may be a difficult situation at your workplace. It, may, it could be tension in your family. One thing that is being said over and over, though, if you, in our world today, is that the Christian faith is on the, it's dying, it's on the brink of distinction. They say that the church, especially in the West, is, is in decline. And, and I, I'm gonna be honest with you, sometimes it, it can feel like that, right? I mean, people are going hard after the Bible today. They're just attacking the Bible and attacking anybody who believes in it. And it's not just coming from, from outside the church, it's coming from within the church, right? The Bible's teaching, man, it's so backwards, it's repressive. It's, if you believe in it, you're spreading hate and you're spreading violence and it can feel overwhelming. Sometimes it just feels like following Jesus can be a mountain that's too big for him to move, right? And when you feel like giving in to those voices, think of how God has destroyed and blasted mountains in the past. We serve a God so powerful that oceans split in two at his word and entire armies fall dead with one swing of his arm. We serve a God who can do more when we sleep than any of us could do in 10,000 lifetimes. That's the God that we serve. And remember, remember this, mountains are nothing new. They are nothing new, they've always existed. This is not something new to you and me in 2024. They have always been around, listen to me here. In, in 303 AD, the Roman emperor went on a rampage in an attempt to stamp out uh, the, the church. He ordered that every Bible be burned, he fed entire families to lions, yet within one century, Constantine became a Christian and established Christianity as the religion of the empire. In the 16th century, a group of people known as the Huguenots were fiercely persecuted in France. The government tried to kill them, thinking at one point that they had completely eradicated them. But they survived, and they grew. And today, a monument stands in their honor, saying, Hammer away, you hostile hands. Your hammers break. God's anvil stands. <laughs> in the 18th century, a French atheist famously said that within 100 years of his death, no one would even remember the Bible. But guess what? When he was dying, he cried out from his deathbed, I am abandoned by God and man. I would give half my fortune for just six more months. And today, in one of his homes, sits a Bible printing press. In the mid-20th century, the Chinese Communist Revolution tried to completely stamp out Christianity. But guess what? Today, he's dead, he's gone, and the communist movement's fading, and the church is growing faster in China than it ever has in the history of the world. 
Hammer away, you hostile hands. The hammer breaks, God's anvil stands. God will build his church and the gates of hell will not be able to stop it. Persecution can't stop it. Atheist philosophy can't stop it. Communism can't stop it. Islamic terrorists can't stop it. Secularism can't stop it. Cynical professors at your college campus can't stop it. God's glory will cover the earth. He's gonna redeem his people from every tribe and tongue on this planet. This was true then, it's true today, it's gonna be true tomorrow. So do you have something in your life you believe God wants to do? Is there a mountain between where you are and what God has revealed in his word. I know I got done early and the worship team is probably just, can't even believe it, but I need the worship team to come up because I'm about to round third, okay? <laughs> you talk about a miracle. I believe it though. God is wanting to do something in this church and this church is made of individuals. I believe, Pastor Stu heard from the Lord and I believe this is going to be a, a, a year of healing. And by, when I say a year of healing for our church, well, our church is made up of individual, individual families and units, right? How many of you could use some of God's healing this year coming into 2024? How many of you Feel the hammer of the world beating you down. Here's what I want you to know. No matter what you are facing, no matter what you face, all is not lost, right? Let's get on our face. Let's confess our belief in the God whose kingdom never fails. God is still on the throne. God is still on the throne. He is going to do amazing things. And here's what I love about the church, the family of God. It's not about this building. It's not about, it's not about this Sunday morning service, right? The church is not a building. The church is the body of Christ. Everybody who's put their faith in Jesus, confessed him as Lord and Savior, that means we could go to my house and we can have church. That means the government could say, hey, all of a sudden we decide we're not allowing people to have church and they can seize this, this building and take it over and we are still gonna be the church. We're still the church. And, and here's what I've always said and believe it with, with everything in me that the best ministry takes place outside these doors throughout the week. And I believe sometimes we get it wrong in church. We put the pastor up and we make him out to be a celebrity and a superstar. I've always told Liz this. I think God chose me because I'm, I'm so opposite from a celebrity. I'm, I'm so, uh, well, I remember the first time I stepped into the pastorate role in, in Albany, New York and took over the church and a lady came and met me in the church and said she's looking for Pastor Justin. I said, well, that's me. And she looked at me and said, you're too short to be a pastor. <laughs> I remember my brother used to tell me when I was little, pray for height. He said, pray for height. And he prayed every night that he'd be tall and I prayed that I'd be hairy. My brother's six foot, which in the Hanson family, that's like a giant. Like, <laughs> he's the only tall one. I'm only 5'5", five, five, on a good day, 5'6". I wear my Cole Hans with big, big soles so I can get a little. But uh, I do grow a good beard. <laughs> All that to say, I am, I am in so many ways not qualified to lead. The only thing that qualifies me to be up here today is the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. I've experienced his mercy and his grace and I've experienced his anointing and uh, I'm so thankful for it. But that's the only thing that separates me from you is the fact that God called me to be a pastor. And 
I love that about the church because God has equipped me, trust me, he's called me to lead this. And as long as he's called me, he's gonna equip me and I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid to tell you, I'm gonna, I'll lead this church where God wants because it's gonna be through the power of God. But here's, here's the thing, we're not gonna do anything until our church individually embraces that call because it ain't about a show on Sunday. You are called. God wants to equip you, empower you, and send you out to fulfill his mission. This church will only grow if the people in this church are going out and spreading the good news in the workplace, in the neighborhood. That's how we're gonna grow. It won't be because we bring some famous speaker, and we'll do that sometimes. We'll bring, we'll bring a, uh, somebody that a lot of people know and wanna hear, and we'll pray that they hear the gospel and get saved. But, but that's not necessarily how the church is gonna grow. How the church is gonna grow is through you. That's how the church is gonna grow. The church... Church is gonna grow because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you and when you walk out of here, he wants to empower you to do some pretty incredible things. And I believe it, 2024, we're gonna give this church back to God. This is God's church. We're just gonna be faithful and obey his mission and God's gonna do some pretty incredible things. So as the worship team comes out here, I'm gonna close in prayer. Our altars are open and I just believe God wants to do some things. Prayer moves the hand that moves the world, okay? God wants to do some incredible things in your life. All is not lost. We know that God doesn't want our families broken up. He knows that, we know that God doesn't want our marriages to fall apart. We know that God doesn't want our children to walk away from the Lord. These are God's promises and we can pray them back. And so we're gonna believe God to move in some really incredible ways in 2024. So I wanna open up my altar. If you wanna pray, you can pray where you're at. You're gonna be officially dismissed when I close, but we're gonna be up here until, until this place is empty. And we wanna give you the opportunity to pursue and seek God. Father, we love you and praise you and worship you. You are in control. And even though this world can seem chaotic at times, you are in control. Man, if we can just learn to give, give it to you, we could have a peace that this world doesn't understand. And I, I want peace just to fall in this place. I want peace to fall in every heart and every mind that comes and pursues you today. Would the Holy Spirit do what only the Holy Spirit can do? God, would you show up in miraculous ways? We're gonna pray for miracles. We're gonna pray that you move. We're gonna pray that your mission is accomplished. You get to do it through us and our, and our circumstances. So I pray that we'd walk out here and our lives would reflect your glory because the world is watching. Move in this place, move in this church, and move in the lives of everyone who calls New Heights Church their home. I pray that 2024 would be a year of healing for them, would be a year that they remember. They'd look back at all the times that you did amazing things and remember your goodness and your faithfulness. Those that are on, on the highs would just, that they would remember who's doing it. Remember, remember the God who blesses us. But those that are in the valley would remember that you have not changed, that you are there, and that they would feel your presence in a very real way today. We love you and praise you and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.